FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 57 of the podcast that goes snicked. snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and I'm joined once again by the fabulous... Always fabulous. That you're going to say your name there. Denise Seibert. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. I'm so going to steal that line from you. From now on. From yeah. now until the end of time. Yeah, it's because I can't think of anything cool to say. <laughs> what is it? The best form of flattery is... Uh, Invitation? Yes. Okay. So I'm imitating you. Are you imitating or mocking? I'm imitating. Okay. All right. Well, then carry on, I suppose. Anyway, uh, this episode, we're going to do our uh, Battle of the Atom kickoff party. But before we get to that, we'll also cover this month's uh, Wolverine issue. Do we have to? Yes, we do. And we will. So, without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, so first up, we have Wolverine number nine. Killable. Are we really that far into this series? Yeah. Okay. Killable, part two of six. I feel like we're in like number 49. Oh, I thought you you thought we were like on three. No. No. All right. Well, there's written by Paul Cornell, penciled by Alan Davis, inked by Mark Farmer, Colors by Matt Hollingsworth. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Alan Davis, Mark Farmer, and Jason Keith did the cover. And uh, on the cover, we have a black background. And then kind of the X-Men lined up with very worried looks on their faces. We have Rachel, Iceman, Beast, Kitty Pride, Storm, and Warbird. He seems the only one who's like distracted. She's like looking off. <laughs> In the distance, like, oh, ho-hum. Then in the foreground, we have some flames. We have Wolverine getting kicked in the face by none other than Batroc the Leaper. Oh, I thought it was the Red Baron. (laughs) He looks kind of like Baron Zemo, I guess. No, I'm thinking like Red Baron pizza. He he has like a pilot hat, like a World War II, like... I know, this is like my interpretation of the Red Baron. I wonder... If weird the, random interpretation if the red baron was a superhero what would he look like he would have the airplane hat and a scarf <laughs> if Duh. he was a superhero what leotard would he wear he'd wear this one but he'd have a bomber jacket on top of it oh okay and a scarf yes so anyway i don't really like batrock the leaper but let's see what the issue holds shall we so we know the last time we left off Wolverine had gone to Wakanda to help uh, get the host who's going to try to fight the microverse virus or help S.H.I.E.L.D. fight. But he got a text message from Mystique saying, hey, looky where I am. I'm at your school about to kill some stuff. And then that's where we left off. Okay. 
So we pick up at the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning, and Storm and Wolverine have returned from Wakanda and they're worried about the kids. But Kitty says they checked everybody, and Mystique is not here. Okay, so this cracked me up that they come busting in as if she's going to be hiding, like, in the corner somewhere. Oh, and no, obviously but she might be, like, disguised as another student. Yeah, but it's been how many hours? Well, they flew on the Blackbird, probably not very long at all. I mean, probably maybe hour or two. I mean, they go at supersonic speeds and break the barrier, the sound barrier. Yeah, but it sounds like, I don't know, it just cracked me up because in this panel it seems like they're going to catch her in mid-act. And if I was Mystique, I'd be long gone by now. and she is. Okay. So they, they, they figure out what Mystique came to do, and basically... She just came to trash Wolverine's room. I want to see something here. Because I know they're just making a Canada reference by having two pennants on the wall with the Calgary Flames and Montreal Canadiens. But I'm pretty sure that there's not very many people that pull for both of those teams. Well, and I find it funny that as old as Wolverine is, that those are the two teams he's going to have hanging in his uh, room as if he's an old college (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Student. Oh, and did you notice there's a uh, picture of Wolverine with a bride? Yes. We don't know which one. So how many brides has Wolverine had? He's been around for a long time, at least 100 years or so. so. I guess I always thought Wolverine never got married. (laughs) He was sort of like the George Clooney of the X-Men. He'll date a lot of women, but he's not going to settle down. Okay, so at least they're not in the same conference. So I guess he could theoretically pull for both teams. Because one's be a like, Western team and one's an Eastern team. So it'd be like, you rooting for Texas and LSU. No, it'd be nothing like that. It'd be oh. like me rooting for the Rangers. No, maybe, maybe better. be like if, if your brother rooted for the Cowboys and the Texans. Because one's AFC, one's NFC. Oh, okay. So unless it's a Super Bowl, it doesn't matter if they play each other. So unless it's the Stanley Cup Finals, it doesn't really matter if the Flames and the Canadians play. Gotcha. Uh, so now that we've had a detour on uh, hockey politics. <laughs> but yes, Wolverine's room is completely trashed. I do like Davis's little touch of the blood coming through his bandages on his fist still. Yeah. So uh, Kitty says that no one's ever allowed in the room. So you aren't really sure what she took or if she took anything. Yeah, I find that interesting. Oh, I finally get it now. The first time I read it, I didn't realize that Wolverine was stashing something. No, he's not. He found something. Well, no, I know, but he oh, finds but it and he stashes, stashes it in it. his belt on one of his pouches. Yes. You're always complaining about. It's because he doesn't really have pouches. In fact, if you look, no, he's knelt is, down. He yeah. doesn't have pouches, not, and then he magically does have pouches. He has his belt in the whole time. Okay, but when he's kneeling down, he doesn't have a belt. You just can't see it. No, he doesn't have a belt. No, you're wrong. No. Where right there do you see a right belt? Right under the yellow stripe. You just can't see it. That no. back's in. You're wrong. Blah. <laughs> so anyway, Storm Blah. says that it was calculated an attack on his past. Blah. Just, just when you're considering your future, Mystique must know about. And Wolverine says, it's just stuff. I can get more. I know that was a pretty cool line. That is a cool line. It's a very Wolverine line. Yes. So then we go to the shield helicarrier. And uh, the host is not cooperating. She doesn't want to be imprisoned. She wants to be free to do her work. And Maria Hill says, well, you know what? We're all going to die anyway. What the hell? 
And so they let her go to try to defeat the virus. And this woman's creepy. Yeah, she, her eyes kind of glow and don't glow and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So we go back to the school. And we have all of the people from the cover, or all the X-Men from the cover. And they're in one of Beast control rooms for the school. They ran a diagnostic, something about analyzing airflow patterns, and discovered that Mystique was like phased through a wall by two intangible ninjas. Okay, this whole page lost me. Um, I get that there's like some new sect of the hand. Right. Well, but Wolverine are they magical? says. Well, apparently these these ninjas can can go intangible. It's the thirteen ninja. It's a splinter group of the hand. Yeah, that's what Wolverine says. Yeah. Anyway, Storm and Wolverine determine that uh oh, the hand. This all goes back to Victor Creed. Sabretooth. It's always him in the end. I thought that was pretty cool, too. Yeah. And it kind of gives the story some new direction. I guess so. Yeah. So then we see all the different shapes that Mystique takes as she just kind of trots through the school. Willy-nilly, but she's not hurting anybody. And then we see that she posed for the camera. Hee-hee-hee. And the sword was Selfie. Not, yeah, selfie. The sword was not like her sword. It but, was um, Wolverine's sword. But Kitty sword. Pride says, that sword she's carrying isn't standard for the hand. And Wolverine interrupt, interrupts her very quickly. It says, it's a warning. They're saying they can come for us any time. we got to work on the school's defenses. And Beast doesn't buy it. He says, no, this is a challenge directly to you. And Warbird says, exactly. Hit him back hard. <laughs> like she's ready to live up to her name and go kick some ass. Iceman's like, no, not now. Not while you're Wolverine. Gives us a nice little title shot. He says, killable. That's when the, the theme music comes on. Right. Yeah. And Iceman's like, exactly. And Beast and all the other, all the other X-Men try to say, hey, um, it's really not a good time. He says, uh, please don't rush into the valley of death. Please stay where we can help you. And Wolverine gets a big smile on his face and says, I ain't going nowhere. Scout's honor. <laughs> right. As we see him fly off in a blackbird. But then we see Kitty phase into the cockpit, and Wolverine's reading his note. And that was interesting that he called her Pride. Why is that? Because I don't know, because they're pretty close. So the fact that he's like, Pride, I, he's her football coach. I don't know, it's kind of yeah, funny to me. Yeah, but it, it can also be a term of endearment. I guess, yeah. And she wants to know why he lied to the Beast. And he says, I was never a scout. <laughs> And I used a double negative. I was worried you might get that. Oh, my goodness. Like, Wolverine's that... Petty? Yeah. I, he was just trying to get his way. But Kenny brings up a good point. She says, you're throwing his kindness back into space. And Wolverine's like, you got to give me a lecture? <laughs> and Kenny says what she tried to say in the control room, that she recognized the sword. The only message of that image was, Mystique has stolen it from you. You have what it takes to come get it back. She wants to know why Wolverine wants to go alone. Like, why not get a team of X-Men? Let's go handle this. You know, or why now? Do you even know where to go? Like, all very valid questions, right. I thought. And he pulls out his paper and says, she left me some map coordinates, so uh, I'm going to go to where they are. <laughs> and Kitty says it's a trap. Then Wolverine gets kind of poignant here. He says, most of the time you known me, I didn't remember. Talking about how for so long he didn't have any of his memories. Right. Uh he says, that was just a sword I had. I didn't know what it meant. And then we get the story of the sword. Um, it was back in his early days in Japan. He was trying to be a samurai. He was married. 
he dishonored himself in training, and then his wife was murdered. And by the time he returned, the owner, the guy that gave him the sword, had died in his sweep. So he just kind of had the sword, but he never learned his name. Which uh, earlier he talks about how the weapons are priceless, they have names. Kind of the significance is the guy presented the sword to a gaijin, you know, an outsider. It was like, it's possible for you to become a samurai. Like, you have the honor, the skill, whatever, to be worthy of being a samurai. And then he blew it, but he still kept the sword because everybody died. (laughs) And then he uh, forgot about it when his memory got wiped clean. But he had the sword, and now he knows how important it is, and he wants to go get it back. He says, Mystique, by taking it, Mystique asks a question. Do I think I deserve to get it back? Kitty says it, well, obviously you do, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to answer your stupid question. God, basically what she says, um, and that you're crazy for doing this. And then we get an explosion in the plane, and it flies down. And it, it kind of like the front falls off. Yeah. And skids into the ground, and we get a nice little French translation. And we see Batroc, the Leaper, with some kind of super gun. <laughs> and we get exactly what I thought. A very sarcastic from off-panel, Oh no, it's Batroc, the Leaper. Like, ooh, shaking in my boots. <laughs> then Kitty says, The category is phrases you never hear. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Of course, she phases them out of the cockpit, and apparently into the ground, because they phase out of the ground. Yeah, and, um, I couldn't tell if they were just standing in really tall grass. Oh, well, maybe, but I don't think so, because when they run up to him, they're both level, and then Kitty's going back under. Oh, okay. The Wolverine sends her to get the note with the coordinates, which you would think one set of coordinates, Wolverine could just memorize that. But One would I, think. I really, I really think he's just sending Kitty to get out of the way. Like, Do you it, think he has a thing for her? No, no, he's very much a father, like an older brother, father figure to her. Oh, okay. So, but she, he wants her to go get it. We get our, our first snicked, and it's a nice little bloody snicked. And Kitty says she'll be back to help him beat Batroc. Then we get a nice couple of pages of them fighting. And um, This is the most ballet-ish looking fight <laughs> I've ever seen. Well, Batroc is a French guy. and Uh-huh. They're both doing martial arts. And so basically, he kind of says what we've been saying and what other people have been saying, that Wolverine is fighting like he can't be hurt and that he used to be a really great martial artist, but now he's not. And Wolverine says that he got lazy. Or he says, I guess I got lazy. Yeah, I thought the fight was not bad. I mean, it's just a bunch of kicking and hitting at each other. But... Okay, so maybe it's just because I sort of have this preconceived notion of... Of the guy in the purple and yellow costume? Yes. That, you know, he's tiptoeing around the tulips and... I don't know. It's very yoga posy, but not masculine in any way, shape, or form. Hmm. It's kind of gymnasty. It is gymnasty. he is a gymnasty kind of villain. He is Batroc the Leaper. He leaps around a lot. It just reminds me of like... Guess what his his favorite year is. Oh gosh, let me guess. Leap year? (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) So anyway, he talks about how cool it would be to be the guy to check out Wolverine. Even with Wolverine like this, it would still bring him such embarrassing plaudits. Like he even talks like an obnoxious Frenchman. Frenchman? Yeah. 
Of course, he's doing it for money, but he's going to soften it up for everybody else because a lot of people that are going to come after him are going to be personal. Uh, he says Wolverine's just a hairy man with a thick skull and six daggers. That was the worst comeback line ever. <laughs> As he knocks Wolverine down. But they keep going. And Wolverine, we get another snicked as he misses. In Batrock, we see the little blade coming out of his toes. Or he just has a really bad hangnail on his toenail. Yeah, he's got something. But as he moves in for the kill, Wolverine stabs him in the ribs. And he kind of tosses Batrock to the side. And Batrock disappears. Where'd he go? He just teleported away. So he teleports away. And Kitty helps uh, Wolverine rewrap his fist. He thanks her for not interfering, and she says, that's your freebie. <laughs> and that's it. You needed that, because I guess it did. So, Kitty says, now you proved yourself. How about we go home, get a strike team together, make a plan. Wolverine says, nah, but you can stay. Batrock wasn't expecting you, so Sabertooth won't either. And Kitty says what I was thinking. Uh, unless Batrock just told him. But you're going to go anyway, so I guess I'll come along. And she says, where are we going? And Wolverine says, we're going home to the place I was born. Which will probably be, the, I guess, the Howlett estate from origin, I'm assuming. I was going to say, where was uh, Wolverine born? Yeah. So uh, anyway, we, uh, we didn't talk about whether you like, did you like the cover? Um, to be honest, no. Oh, I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't I, think it was like, the best cover ever, but that was pretty nice. I guess it kind of, it. I mean, it was foreshadowing of what we were going to see on the inside. And I, yeah. I guess I kind of thought Batrock, is that his name, Batrock? Sure. He just, I didn't like his pose. Oh, but yeah. I've, I think I've just discovered I don't like him as a villain. I don't either. He remind. I was trying to think of who he reminds me of. Pepe Le Pew? Well, I was going to say he reminds me of a cross between um, Pepe Le Pew and the black and white villain who ties the damsel to the train tracks. Oh, uh... Dastardly, we Dan? Is that his name? I don't know, maybe. I don't remember. Yeah. If Pepe Le Pew had, and him had a love <laughs> child. Yes, and yeah. he has the fingery mustache. Yeah, he does have some good mustache, and he didn't twirl once. Yes. Yeah. Now, I don't really like him either, but I kind of like him being included in this story. I guess, I guess let's talk about that. So what do you think of the issue overall? I thought the art was really good. Can we, can we make my sigh really loud? I thought the art was really good. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i just struggling with this one. Okay. I think, yes, the art was, for the most part, it was okay. I didn't like the fight scene with the villain, but I think it's because See, I don't I, like the villain. I thought it fit his fighting style, so I It probably it. did fit his fighting style, which just made me not like it even more. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like we're getting sidetracked again. But it's better because we're getting away from the virus. The virus is barely in this. Well, I that know. That makes the story better. But I guess I feel like the way this book has gone before is they bring up all these things, make it seem important, and then they just completely drop it. And then you're back to going, oh, great, we're on a completely new tangent. How does this even spin into it? Well, now we know. Is people are going to come after Wolverine and try to kill him because he's killable now. And at the top of that list, if there's like a pyramid of villains... You know, or your, or your arcade game, the big boss is Sabertooth. Uh-huh. I like it. I thought that was cool. I like kind of the progression of the 
I guess, the conflict since he's lost the C-Wave Factor. We started off where he fought Black Panther, who's another superhero who's going to be pulling his punches. Right. So, like, the fight between Wolverine and Black Panther, like, some would argue with the C-Wave Factor, they'd be kind of even. I think Wolverine would kill him with the, with the C-Wave Factor. Without, I think Black Panther has the upper hand. But Black Panther, like I said, didn't want to hurt his friend. Right. Even if he is pissed at her for stealing his girlfriend. Or not stealing, but getting his rebound on his girlfriend. Um, you know, but still, he doesn't want to, he wouldn't want to destroy Wolverine. So right. it was kind of like the easiest fight Wolverine could have is against someone who doesn't want to hurt him. Right. So then our next fight, our kind of our, our, our next like warm-up is against a really lame supervillain, like one of the bottom rung guys. Are you still not just Bottom a hen- rung is a really yeah. good word for him. He's still not just a henchman. Right. But he's not really, like, he's no one in the past that Wolverine would even, like, waste his time with. But now he can't heal. He's, so he's kind of, he's kind of got to, like, work his way up, proving that he can still handle himself without a Z-Way factor. Uh-huh. So I kind of like kind of the, the stepping stones. Yeah, you know, and I'm assuming that's how we're going to go for these next six-part story that it will kind of just, the villains will keep getting tougher and tougher until I'm hoping we actually see Sabretooth in this story. I know we already have him in the Digicom. They'll probably be weary of tr- overexposing him, but I kind of hope that that's where the story ends up. I thought the part about the sword was cool. I enjoyed that quite a bit, actually. And I like that Mystique took it just to taunt him. Right. I think that explains kind of a lot of their history together and just the fact that she's probably working with Sabretooth, which fits in with all new X-Men, like, and even Wolverine of the X-Men. Like, I don't know. It felt like it was contained, like, with all the other stories we've been, we've been reading. And I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I, I like the potential of where it could go. Okay. So anything else you want to mention? I'm having UG moments again. I don't know. I just kind of feel like we were going down a path with, let's get the host. Let's do this. Let's do this. Here's the process of the the microvirus. Blah 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 blah. Oh yeah. Now we're now we're gonna talk about this over here. I won't lie. I you you will probably complain that they they're dropping something. My honest sincere hope is that at the end of this story, there's like two pages where they're like, oh, the host killed the virus. <laughs> that's all there is i i just the, the last less... page just her going berserker and <laughs> yeah. killing off no, the microvirus they can honestly just mention it in a dialogue box and i'd be fine the where's the le- host oh she's eating oh, the virus oh, in the, the corner virus. everything's fine like the less the virus is involved the better the story is for me so i'm completely groovy with this kind of yeah, not to make the video game comparison again, but kind of this video game setup of like Wolverine having to like climb through the ranks and defeat guys kind of one at a time to get to where he really wants to get. I don't, okay, so I don't mind the fact that, you know, they the microvirus stripped away Wolverine's healing factor. And so now people are like, ooh, hey. Let's take our shot. Now's right. our time. Yeah, I yeah. think that makes sense. It, it does make sense. I guess I just kind of feel like, really? <laughs> well, about what? I I don't know. I feel like we rock and roll in one issue and then we completely... I guess I feel like this was slow. Oh, see, I didn't think so. But I don't really feel like I found anything out that was relevant. Oh, okay. I, I thought we got a lot. We got the stuff with the sword. We got a little tidbit on the host. We got to see Wolverine and Kitty Pride interact. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, um, anything else worth mentioning? No. Okay. All right. Well, we're obviously going to disagree on this one, which is good because we've been kind of two together. So 
Why don't you we're two together. We're two in sync. Yeah. We're two, two of a kind. All right. So uh, what are you going to grade Wolverine number nine? <laughs> you going to grade it or just laugh? Giggles <laughs> over here. Oh, Giggles Malone. I, I'm sorry. Don't apologize. You either liked it or you didn't. And I can't give it half claws, can I? Nope. I'm sorry. Well, here's the thing. I feel like if I gave it one claw, I'm being overly harsh on it. If you didn't like it. But I don't feel like it deserves two claws. We really do. I think we should do Pat's suggestion of a six claw rating. (laughs) We really We're should. We're too far in. I have to go back and regrade all the old issues. No, you I've don't. I'm just about. saying from here on out, we're doing six claws. All right. Well, you know what? I This is not a democracy. I am the dictator of the podcast. Okay. You can't steal lines from Walking Dead. What are you talking about? Walking Dead didn't invent democracies or dictatorships. No, but at the end of season two, Walking Dead said this is no longer a democracy. Okay. Well, he, that came from somewhere else, too. Well, whatever. Anyway, this is not a democracy, and I hold the final word. However, I want to make people happy, and I will listen. So if other, if people want to weigh in, anybody at all, on Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever. Okay, please, people, please weigh in. Weigh this in. three-claw rating say what, stinks. Say whether you prefer something to be three claws, which is nice and succinct, and matches one of Wolverine's hands, or whether you want six claws. Six claws. You all want six claws. All right. We're just funny because I don't think Pat listens to the current episode, so you won't even hear this discussion. Pat, shame. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I'm rooting for you, and yeah. you're not even listening. <laughs> he listens to all the flashbacks. Dude. That's his thing. Anyway. I need to interject on the flashbacks. <laughs> you were on one. We'll get you on some more. Anyway, uh, feel free to weigh on that. But um, for this episode, we're going to stick with our regular format until otherwise specified so what are you going to give wolverine number nine every, every time i look at her she giggles <laughs> it doesn't matter what we're doing i want to give you a middle finger claw all right so denise gives wolverine number nine <laughs> one out of three claws and i cannot disagree more i'm going to give wolverine number nine three out of three claws actually i'm giving you the middle finger claw <laughs> she's going to be the middle her actual middle finger um, claw. All right, so uh, let's move on. I can't wait to dive into Battle of the Atom. And, um, I can't wait to see what happens next in this book. So let's let's keep going. Okay, so next up, we're going to have our uh, Battle of the Atom kickoff party. Woohoo! Of course, this is a big uh, X event. Are we uh, having a kegger? <laughs> yeah, sure. We'll have some Molson since we're a Wolverine podcast. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, but no, basically Battle of the Atom is going to be the, uh, I think it's a 10-part crossover between all the major X books to kind of end the summer and move into the fall. So who's Adam? Not that kind of Adam. But um, basically this event kind of, I won't say it's a culmination because I'm sure as soon as it ends we'll just get ready for something else. But um, kind of picks up all the strands that started with Schism, really even I guess as far back as house of him but basically what you need to know before you get into this is after schism there was avx which is the avengers versus the x-men with the phoenix five and then cyclops kind of went revolutionary so beast brought back the original x-men from back in time the teenage years right yes yeah they're all teenagers and brought them to the present that's kind of 
And uh, oh, Professor X. This is because Scott uh, either accidentally or whatever killed Professor X during AVX. So Beast wanted Cyclops to see his younger self before he quote unquote lost his way and hoping that it kind of shock him back into reality. So current Beast brought back five. The five original X Men. X Men. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so they're now all in our present. Okay. And that's kind of the impetus for everything that's going to happen in this story. Has Justin Bieber scared him away yet? No. He's not that powerful. Oh. His power is weak. So we're going to basically going to hit all three parts that are out so far. And then uh, the next episode. In the next current episode, we'll do the last two, and that'll be the halfway point. We're going to do parts one, two, and three, which will be Battle of the Atom number one, all new X-Men number 16, and X-Men number three. Now why, not to try and make this episode longer than it should be, but why are they bouncing around? Because uh, it's a crossover. Okay. So basically, it's going to go through all the X-Titles. Like, like part four and five are, uh, I don't remember exactly what order, I can check real fast. Um, I saw a checklist earlier. Where did it go? Oh, here it is. Okay. So part four will be Uncanny X-Men, and part five will be Wolverine and the X-Men. Okay. So it goes through all the, the major current X-Books, and then the first part and the last part will be its own special book. And so we have Battle of the Atom number one, and then part ten will be Battle of the Atom number two. Okay. All right, so let's start with Battle of the Atom number one. Let's dive right in. This is written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Frank Cho with Stuart Eminen and Wayne Van Grabiger. The colors are by Marte Garcia and the letters are by VC's Joe Caramagna and the cover is by Arthur Adams with Peter Stegerwald. What do you think of this cover? Um, there's a whole lot going on. Yeah, so it basically lays out the whole story. We have, so I guess we're about to get into it, so you can't really call it a spoiler anymore. Right. But basically, we're going to have three groups of X-Men. The original X-Men from the quote-unquote past, even though they're technically now in the present. Right. The current X-Men that should be in the present, and the X-Men of the future. And so all three groups are represented on the cover. I gotta say, the future guys look a little weird Rough. in the face. Yeah. Like, all their faces are kind of squished. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's weird with the Sentinels. I mean, I get where the Sentinels come from. But... Right. And they're kind of guarding the X-Men. Yeah. Like in an internment camp. Kind of like uh, Days of Future Past. So I'm assuming this will be a similar future to that, if not the same. But I think the young X-Men look really cool. Yeah, I like um, how their uniforms seem very old school. Yes, they, and they are. Yeah. Um, and I thought Wolverine and Storm also mm-hmm. looked pretty cool. So overall, I like the cover. I thought the future X-Men looked a little weird perspectively. I think it, they're trying to show a little foreshadowing that life is rougher uh, than it probably should be. Maybe. Oh, and there's also... Uh, I didn't even really notice... So just, if you've been listening, hopefully you know, but in reference to the all-new X-Men, so I'm going to refer to them by age. So it'll be old X, like old Cyclops versus young Cyclops. So don't get confused, because old Cyclops doesn't mean Cyclops from the past. It means the older Cyclops physically. 
okay. And young Cyclops is the kid Cyclops who's from the old past. Okay, so what happens when we have Beast? When we have three. Well, we'll, do, we'll take our cue from the comic, I guess, and do the best we can. Okay. Because I think he calls him Middle Beast, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But anyway, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. So we start off with kind of a monologue by Magic. Basically says that she teleported into the future to see if the future was worth fighting for. That's when we get our first look at the future X-Men fighting a bunch of Sentinels. And there's a bunch of human-sized Sentinels as well, in addition to the giant ones. So we see a crazy beast with a big gun, a giant ice hulk, Deadpool, Lady Zorn. And then basically, this is just, I don't really know. I'm assuming this may probably will come back to affect the story somehow. Because the story is going to kind of be about the abuse of the time stream. But as far as starting this story, Magic's little trip is basically just to be exposition for setup. Okay. Kind of summarize everything that's happened before with Professor X dying and the X-Men coming back from the past and blah, blah, blah. So we go to the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning today and the students are kind of arguing. And there's a big thing from Cerebro. They go to Arizona and we see this warrior chick who looks a lot like Zealot from uh, Jim Lee's Wildcats. Oh, that was not who I thought she looked like. And she also looks like Tabitha from uh, that salon show you like to watch. Oh, Tabitha <laughs> takes over? Yeah. Yeah, she does look kind of like Tabitha that. takes over the dragons. But um, I thought she also looked like pink. Yeah, yeah. She has man hips like pink, too. Yeah. Yeah. She has a pink hairstyle, too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, so this is our new mutant, and she makes creatures out of the air. So Kitty Pride takes the new X-Men, the young X-Men, in to investigate. They start fighting the monsters. Uh, young Jean Grey reads her mind and sees her past. She's a troubled youth, and now she has powers. She's taking it out on everybody. She's pink. Yeah, pretty much. She's rebellious. But then suddenly, as has been the case during recent history... Everywhere the X-Men show up, Sentinels know where they are. They show up, too. So we get a nice little army of Sentinels. The young X-Men are not ready, so Kitty phases them. Uh, Jean telekinetically draws everybody to Kitty so that she can phase, and the, the laser blasts go right through them. But we see there's a civilian. The X-Men try to save him. Cyclops gets his butt handed to him. And we get crazy optic blast, and we know, of course, that's a telltale sign that old Cyclops is here with the uncanny X-Men. And they join the fight, and even though they've been kind of on opposing ideologies, uh, they fight together and actually do a really good job taking the Sentinels out. But right as they're about to win, one of the Sentinels eye blast young Cyclops, and he gets fried, and everything goes blurry and shaky, and uh-oh, what happened to old Cyclops? Dun-dun-dun. But then I think his name is Chris, right? Yeah. Uh, Christopher Muse. Christopher yeah. has a special He's power. the healer on the Uncanny X-Men, and he heals young Cyclops, and then old Cyclops shows back up. So we get a little bit of Back to the Future time travel theory which will be an interesting point that we'll talk about later. The cops start to show up, so all the X-Men split. So then at the Jean Grey school, the staff decides, you know what? After what happened, 
Uh, we almost killed young Cyclops, which almost erased old Cyclops. Uh, y'all need to go back home. But, See ya. But the young X-Men don't want to go back home, especially Jean, because she's going to go home to die. <laughs> She'd rather uh, try to not die. Somebody should have just told her she was on vacation. Right. But So they don't want to go back. But Wolverine, of course, and Kitty Pride are like, no, you have to. Even Beast, who brought them there, is like, it really is the right thing to do. I shouldn't have done this, probably. And he's going to prepare the time cube, but it activates by itself. And out of the time cube come... Future Future X-Men. Future X-Men. And we have a jacked-up beast. A he girl, really is jacked. A girl I didn't know at first. Lady Zorn, who I recognized. Ice Hulk. A guy who's most likely Deadpool. A girl with an M jacket, which reminded me of Bishop. We'll find out who that is. And then a guy in a cloak, who will also find out who that is. All right, then we get some nice pinups. We have an all-new X-Men pinup by David Lopez, which is okay. It's kind of comic strippy. It is. Like your Sunday paper. Um, but his art's kind of that way, too. We have an uncanny X-Men pinup by Fraser Irving, who's been one of the art rotation on that book. He has a very distinct style. We have Simon Bianchi does a Wolverine and the X-Men pinup. I, I thought this one was pretty cool. His sty- he's kind of stylized, but I enjoyed his version of Beast. Yeah. I wouldn't want it to be that way all the time. I no. thought it was a cool poster. Then Phil Noto does the X-Men pinup. And, of course, his kind of rough, sketchy style. I thought it looked all right. It's very um, Mad Men-ish. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I can see that. And then Stefano Caselli and Andre Mosa did the future X-Men. I'm a Caselli fan. I particularly enjoyed his uh, Deadpool. That's the guy in red, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, what did you think of this first chapter? Okay. So I was confused. I thought they blew Scott's head off. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Then we can go through and kind of talk about some weird things. Yeah. There was definitely a part. First of all, I thought it was funny before that. Even though I'm not a big fan of the character, I, I like that Dupe was running around eating freshly baked cookies and a chef hat. Oh, that's the happy poo, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hanky the Christmas poo. <laughs> I like that their iPhones have like holographic ringtones. Yes. So Kitty's, of course, is Lockheed and he barks at her. That was funny. Apple, take note. That's what's coming. I thought uh, Cho's art was really good. Of course, I'm a Cho fan. I thought his art was pretty fantastic. I like his, I like how Mad Kitty looks when she leads the charge. The scene where we see like the new mutant. Which we ever got? Did we ever get her name? Yeah, uh, Anna X. Or oh yeah, Anna, Anna Max. Anna Max. Her human name, as Jean says, is Blake Shield. But yes, the picture where where Cyclops, young Cyclops, first goes after the civilian. And the Sentinel shoots at him. Because his, the color of his visor blends into his chest as he's falling over, it does look like his head got blown off. I think that may have been kind of intentional, right, to make you do a double take. Like, oh, shit, did they just kill Cyclops? <laughs> well, I... Okay. It's also... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's exactly what happened. I went, damn, they blew his head off. Right. And, and then ca- I flipped over and I'm like, oh, wait. Oh, wait, he's safe. But then the next pa- page or two... He's not safe again. <laughs> yeah, it made me go. It was kind of foreshadowing in a way. Okay, so everybody knows my affinity for not really liking Jean Grey and not really liking Scott. And so at first I was like, yes, <laughs> it decapitated him. And then it was, no. 
dang it, he's alive. <laughs> and then it was I, like, yes, he's going to die. I actually no. like Cyclops quite a bit. I I'm, like I'm not him. on his side as far as like, the current philosophy, but I still think he's a very compelling character. And just his character journey has been really interesting. I don't like him, and I don't like Gene. All right. I like the two X-Men teams that are normally at odds working together, and I thought... The double-page spread of that like kind of joint fight was really, really cool and very well drawn. It okay. kind of looks like young Jean is wearing uh, boxers, like men's boxers over her Yeah, uniform. she looks like she's wearing guy shorts. Yeah. I thought that Emma Frost looked really cool in her diamond form. Her knockers need a little. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Cho likes to draw big boobs, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, but her outfit's not even going to stay on if she moves. Well, she has glue, I think. Okay. <laughs> nipple and glue. Nipple That's her other mutant power. Her nipples are really sticky. Gross. <laughs> and I thought the coloring, of course, I love, no secret that I love Marte Garcia's colors. I thought the coloring, particularly when young Cyclops gets blasted by the Sentinel from the back, mm-hmm. like that coloring looked really cool. Your coloring's way cooler than what's on the iPad. Oh, uh, yeah. And I like kind of the blurry art as kind of the time stream light. Shakes as we start to lose older Scott. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I thought it looked pretty cool. And so then when we get back to the Jean Grey school, that's where the art changes. And we shift to Stuart Eminem. Um, I thought his art was really good too. Of course, I'm a fan of his. I like kind of some of the argument. And then I like the last page, the pinup of the future X-Men. I thought it was pretty cool. So um, overall thoughts on this one overall being a a brand new book and not really knowing any of the backstory behind all of this because you asked me if i wanted backstory and i said no let me see if i can figure it out and i did i figured it out for the most part right pretty well so i thought that i can't really put my finger on how they did it to make it easy to understand but part of that just business is an amazing writer he's like one of my favorites so i was definitely Excited to see what he did with this kind of his first X event. You know, I thought it, I thought it was kind of a doozy of a kickoff. So it, it was pretty intense. Yeah. All right. So when are you gonna grade this one? I'm actually gonna give this one three out of three. Okay. I also am gonna give Battle of the Atom number one three out of three claws. Now, the art and the story was all fantastic. We'll talk a little bit. Oh no. Okay. Let's kind of let's kind of dive right in. Since the beginning of all new X Men number one, so in the first fifteen issues, they've been kind of playing what I felt like was fast and loose with the time travel. Okay. Okay. And so I wasn't sure. Okay. Well, because they kind of were tongue in cheek about. Well, if I if Wolverine was like, well, if I kill Cyclops now, then. Old Cyclops goes away too. Like he won't be a thorn in my side anymore. So like when the young X-Men first showed up, they're like his first kind of instinct. He kind of joked it off. Was like I'm just gonna I'm gonna stab little kid Cyclops right now <laughs> and get it all over with. And then kind of like made some like Back to the Futurey time travel jokes. Right. And I kind of felt like they weren't really gonna mess with that too much. But it brings up a big question because now we've actually addressed it. When young Cyclops gets mortally wounded. An old Cyclops like ceases to exist, but it didn't necessarily change events that much. Or maybe it just didn't have time to. Like, that's always kind of tricky. Like when in time travel, like theory, like when did the changes oh, take place? Because like if Cyclops yeah, was like, dead know, long enough and right. he got a speech impediment, 
then did new Cyclops come right. back with a or speech if he, impediment? Right, or if he dies and old Cyclops disappears, that means everything that Cyclops did would also seek to exist. Kind of, it's a wonderful life stuff. So then like, oh, well, he never married Jean. There's no cable. You know, like, like all this stuff suddenly is undone. But it's not undone in just as a brief amount of time. But uh, so I'm, I'm always kind of wondering that, like, is it like a, like a snap of the fingers? Like there's just suddenly a new timeline and everything's immediately different? And you kind of like, just Wolverine, like, kind of eventually realize things are different? Like, I don't know, I don't want to... Well, but then it kind of goes, it, it, you have to ask yourself, you know, there's, oh, what movie is it? I can't remember. But basically, they play around with the idea of if somebody just came home five minutes later, you know, and she catches her husband, you know, she, she makes the train, I think it's sliding doors, and she, in one version, she makes the train, goes home, and sees her husband in bed with another woman. And in another instance, she misses the train, so she goes home and doesn't catch him with the other woman. Right. And so in the end, the events turned out to be the same. So it's that oh, theory right. of it doesn't matter. Well, that's a very fatalistic, like, your destiny is predetermined no matter what small choices you make. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to get too uh, mucked up into time travel theory, but I guess kind of my 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 question, original question, to kind of that I got a, took a long way to get around to. Do we have a DeLorean, and do we need one? <laughs> well, that's an important question too. But since we know that killing young Cyclops would make old Cyclops disappear, if in theory they never go back. Doesn't that also change our current characters? Well, no, because he's. Like if they never go back to when they left, then Cyclops oh, is suddenly Cyclops. is sixteen now instead of thirty something. So the stuff he did between when he left and when he arrived in the present, that stuff would eventually be undone anyway if he never goes back to redo them. Wow, you right? just twisted my noodle. Yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, just food for thought. I would love to hear. This would be a great opportunity for listeners to pour in uh, theories. So if you're interested Hashtag in all... noodle twisters. Yeah, if you're interested in all and putting your two cents in on X-Men time travel, I would love to hear it. Just wanted to hear what people think. All right. Well, anyway, uh, let's move on to all new X-Men number 16, Battle of the Atom Part 2. I'll do the credits and then Denise will summarize. Yeah, Jason will do the credits because I can't pronounce anything worth... That's <laughs> okay. So it's written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Stuart Eminen, eat by Wade Von Grabiger, colored again by Marte Gracia, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and the cover again by Arthur Adams and Peter Stegerwald. I thought this cover was pretty sweet. It's basically the future X-Men attacking a giant sentinel. We have Ice Hulk leading the charge. So I guess now's a good time... Before we jump too far into this, as we ended on the last page, what do you think about the uh, designs of the future X-Men before we even really get to know them, just visually speaking? I, I do like, because, you know, mutation is, mutation as far as we know it, not in the comics, is something that's very, very slow. Right. So I like the idea that in their time, mutation continues to mutate. Right. So I, I like that Iceman's gotten bulkier and Beast only has one horn growing out of his head. And right. Well, Beast particularly continues to mutate again and again. So this is kind of just another version. I was curious about Zorn being a woman. 
The last we saw, Zorn was um, a dude. Actually, one of... I can't remember how much they retconned on Zorn, but at one point he was Magneto in disguise. This is obviously not. <laughs> I thought the Deadpool looked pretty cool, even though he didn't have his mask on. I like kind of the hood and cloak thing, kind of the the urban future kind of yeah. thing. I thought that looked pretty cool and all the, the boots and stuff like that. Well, and I think it lends itself to the future's really gritty. Yes. Really. Yeah. It's a grim future. Mm-hmm. All right. So what do we got in this issue? So we're at Xavier's secret school and everybody's looking at some footage of Sentinels fighting so that they can figure out their own fighting skills or how to better themselves. Right, like watching film after a football game. Right. And then uh, Cyclops realizes that Christopher's missing and goes outside and finds him. And Christopher kind of, they had a conversation about how he's just sort of freaked out about bringing young Cyclops back to life and, and pulling him back. And then it flips over back to the future X-Men coming through and basically them saying, you know, we're here to stop you from making a really big mistake. Right. And everyone's kind of freaked out like, oh, my gosh, that's me in the future. Right. <laughs> and uh, well, Actually, only one of them has a future self right off the bat. Like Beast is the only recognizable person. Right. Well, in the ice, the younger Iceman and the middle-aged Iceman are like, that's what we end up being. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I will say, I don't really like that. He's dumb. I like that. He like made himself bigger and tougher. Well, he's more animalistic. He just kind of growls. Yeah, I guess. Um, The ice Hulk comparison definitely works. Yeah. I do like the little banter between the two beasts, young beasts, middle-aged beasts. Yes. They're very much Twinkies. Obviously, um, Kitty and Wolverine have something going on in the future because she jumps and gives him a big old hug. Um, All right, because remember, uh, Kitty was Wolverine's first kind of like symbolic daughter. And then in Days of Future Past, he, Wolverine, travels into the future to save her. Oh, okay. Um, well, Wolverine kind of steps in and sort of identifies who everybody is. Yeah, I like how they do that, too. Yeah. They, they kind of give a checklist. Yeah, so you are you must be Kitty, and then Deadpool jumps in and gives him a kiss, and he's like, you're obviously Deadpool. Right. Um, he doesn't know who Molly Hayes is. I didn't either. I didn't read Runaways. And then uh, Charles Xavier... Uh, introduces himself as the grandson of Charles Xavier. He says his name, name is Xavier. Xavier. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden... in the future, sudden, you only need one name. Right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Wolverine goes crazy. Yeah, we get a snick. And basically, a fight pursues. They separate everybody. And they realize Wolverine was not in control. That the young Jean Grey basically made Wolverine snick his claws. Yeah. And they realize that Gene and Cyclops are now missing. Right. And you kind of flash back to where Gene is telepathically talking to Beast and saying, hey, I can't read their minds. This is kind of freaking me out. Let's go. And Beast says, no, like we need to stay here. Something fascinating is going to happen. So then she kind of mind reads with Scott and says, hey, let's get out of here. I can't read their minds. It's freaking me out. And Scott just says, okay. Yes. They get into the Blackbird. Is that the name of the plane? Yes. Okay. They get into the plane. They fly off. Um, They kind of go back and forth about why can't they read 
the future X-Men's minds. Right. What are they trying to hide? It must be a bad thing. Yeah. And then they, um, the current X-Men and the Pat, or I'm sorry. The future X-Men. The current X-Men and the future X-Men are kind of going back and forth as to, you know, why would they leave? What are you hiding? Right. And so Xavier tells him, well, I kind of kept our minds secret. Right. And it was like, now why would you do that? And then they talked to... Sorry, who's that character's name? Oh, Zorn. Zorn, and just say, hey, you got a lot of, a lot of nerve wearing that because the last time it was here, it killed Jean Grey. Mask comes off, boom. Ironically enough, it is Jean Grey. Yes. And so she kind of goes around, tells everyone, hey, what's up? <laughs> right. Nice to see you. And then that conversation's cut short to find the Blackbird crashed on a beach. And then to be continued. Yeah. So I had uh, several questions in this issue. First of all, I thought the dialogue was really good again. Kind of different people kind of uh, verbally sparring with each other. Like I said before, I'm I'm a huge fan of the team of Eminem, Grobinger, and Garcia. Oh, wait. They say Garcia in this one. It's almost always Gracia. Yeah. Typo. Uh-oh. <laughs> but Gracia. Anyway, this all-new X-Men, to me, for the past 15 issues, which has been about a year that it's been out, is still one of the visually best-looking books on the shelf. Like, just month in and month out, and usually twice a month. <laughs> so, but yeah, but this, this issue is no exception. I thought it was interesting that even though it was only two minutes ago, the stuff that happened was already like they did it in black and white to separate it as yeah. a flashback. I thought I that like looked that. really cool. All right, so a couple of questions. Though again, another chance for people to write in and give theories, and then I'll ask you what you think. Hashtag theory. Yeah. So do you think now Jean Grey has a history of at least twice dying and being resurrected? Okay. Okay. So do you think this gene from the future is because young Jean stayed and grew up and then never went through the dark phoenix stuff, never died? Or is the young, is the older gene from the future just another resurrection? Like it doesn't matter what the young Jean now does. If she just, she died and resurrected anyway, just again. Right. So part of me, just because she's so paranoid about dying, the younger Jean is so paranoid about dying yeah. that I think when she does go back, she if changes she something. Back. If she goes back, she's changed something. Okay. And I think that's why they deem it important that the, she has to go back. Like, you've got to go back because you've you've learned something and now you have the opportunity to change the past okay so then do you think this story ends up with us finding out that in current continuity regular gene is alive somewhere else and she's just in hiding i think so a good possibility i kind of think it's either a resurrected gene or a different gene because i feel like if it was just young gene grown up from our present uh-huh. that she wouldn't be so intent on sending them back to the past and she'd be like, no, I'm proof that this is the right decision, as instead of being against it. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm also curious, um, it seems to me, because obviously Beast is still the current Beast. Like, he's the same Beast. He's got, and call him old as dirt Beast. Um, <laughs> he does have a cane. Yes, he minus does. Minus the tennis balls on the end. <laughs> and Kitty Pride 
is the same kitty. She's just a lot older. We even get a little lotion. bit. Even get a little bit of great. Yes, <laughs> young our our kitty says remind me to use more moisturizer. <laughs> but we even see some gray hair. And of course, everybody when they get old, all women cut their hair shorter. So we get that. Okay, don't be expecting me to cut my hair shorter when not, I get older. You're not gonna like Jessica Tandy, are you? No. Okay. But I'm or not the old gonna. Old woman from Titanic. No. Okay. But I. I'm not going to cut my hair really, really short. Okay. Anyway, uh, a lot of obviously Deadpool with his healing factor is still alive. So it kind of begs a big question is where's future Wolverine? Yeah, I had that exact same question. I mean, Wolverine's been alive longer than, every, longer than everybody already anyway. Well, so did, I mean, or was he just not invited to the party? Well, yeah, I mean, it just seems weird that at this point that nobody's asking. Or the, even some of the other X-Men, like Storm, are like, oh, where, where am I? What happens well, where's middle-aged Deadpool? We have future Deadpool. Where's middle-aged Deadpool? Well, he's not an X-Men right now. He's off doing his own thing. Oh. So. Well, where's older Storm? That's what I just said. No, you said Wolverine. Yes, and I said, and like Storm. Why is oh. she asking, where am I? Right. Where's older Cyclops? Yeah, well, apparently he led his revolution and died, I'm assuming. But yeah, so there's some interesting questions. Of course, we're not done. And we'll probably see some more future X-Men before it's all said and done. Saw a couple of really spoiler things I won't bring up yet. I'll wait for them to be revealed. No! I'll show you real fast. Don't say anything on 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 the podcast. You know, on air where you could, like, just edit me out. Right. I I tried to do not make editing so much work, so just make it easy on me. Well, right. I saw what you didn't see. <laughs> I'm boo, sure mo- most people listening to this are pretty web savvy. You've probably already seen it, too. They're on Google right now. Yeah. Spoilers. Right. Anyway, all right. So, uh, yeah, what do you what do you give all new X-Men number 16, chapter 2 of Battle of the Atom? Hmm, let me think about this one. I think we're going to go three for three. Yeah. Oh, wait, are you giving away all your grades right now? No, three out of three claws. Oh, you said three, four, three. Oh, sorry. Although... Forty and Swift, I bet we go three for three. <laughs> Although I do have to say, I'm adding a new rating. Oh, what's that? Okay, so you know how you, we've talked to the listeners about having a double snicked or whatever? You mean six claws instead of three? Yes, yeah. six claws instead of three. Well, since... I'm pretty sure you're gonna put your foot down and say that. No, it's if people three. really want that, I will. I will very seriously consider it. Okay. Well, I have an addendum to it, and okay. you'll probably like it a whole lot better. What's that? So you still do a three out of three claw rating. Uh huh. However, if it's just a stellar, knocks your socks off book, they can get a double snick. And double snicked. Yes. Six out of six. Six out of six. There's no five. There's no four. <laughs> it's just a double snick. Six is the exception. Yes. It just gets a double snicked. I think and that, if in it and if well, a comic really stinks, it gets a what is it? Snank. Well, I give no claws. I'm a snacked. Snacked. <laughs> the inverse. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Like when a girl is really ugly, you you get a reverse boner. You said it, not me. Your nuts just crawl up inside you and hide. That's what he said. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I'm going to also give all new X-Men number 16, three out of three claws. I can't remember if I said that already or not. I did think it was very interesting that uh, Gene, even though we find out later 
Is it this issue or next issue? Next what? About how she, why she's wearing the helmet. Next issue. Okay. So we find out why she's wearing it, but I did think it was very ironic, interesting, that she is wearing the helmet of the person that killed her last time. I'm also wondering if she is just resurrected again and not having lived continually. So that's, you know, so one theory is that we now have a current gene out there somewhere and she's lived continually because of something that was different. Or she was resurrected again. If she was re-resurrected from the last time she died and Zorn killed her, I'm wondering if her resurrection has something to do with the helmet also. I don't know. So anyway, just some different theories. I don't out even there. know how she died. You don't have to explain it. You can explain it off air. You you want to read Grant Morrison's new X Men? That run was very very well. Most of it was really good. Anyway, let's move to chapter three: Battle of the Atom, Part Three, and X Men Number Five. I think at the beginning of the uh, segment I said X Men Number Three because I was reading Chapter Three, but it is Number Five, which is good because. And they had a crossover in their third issue. That'd be pretty lame for the book. They couldn't even get really going yet. This one is written by Brian Wood. Art by David Lopez. Inker Kev- Cam Smith. Colorist Laura Martin. VCs Joe Caramagna is the letterer. And the cover again by Arthur Adams. And this time Mar- Marte Gracia does the colors on the cover. And this cover is young Cyclops and young Jean running in a red background using their powers. I thought it was a pretty sweet cover. I thought young Jean's boobs were a little bit too big. And her granny panties are a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just, Scott has them too. (laughs) That's just part of the old uniforms with the parachute boots also. Rather than you know, and I like boobs as much as the next guy, but it just seemed, uh-huh. a, seemed a little weird on a girl who's been pretty petite so far to suddenly have big boobs on the cover. I will say but her hair coming out of her... Old 60s mask? Yeah, her hair is not that long when she takes her mask off. Is it not in this issue? No. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's close. Eh. It's a little bit past her shoulders. This is a little bit further past her shoulders. Yeah. But I feel like they gave her longer hair when she had her little hood oh, probably, on. Probably to draw attention to it. All right, so basically, the X-Men have to hunt down young Jean and young Scott. We find out that uh, future Jean has to keep the mask on because her powers have grown exponentially and she can't, uh, she like loses control if she doesn't keep it on. So she apologizes for the appearance. She knows that it bothers them. But basically, they they find, even though the blackbird has been stolen, that the two beasts have made the dove, which is a white blackbird. And then Xavier from the future pops a Cerebro pill. And then the team split up. Some of them are going to track down Gene and Scott, who are now all the way in California. Ooh. And we get some kind of interesting development between them. It's interesting because, remember just a few issues ago, Jean made a move on Young Beast to try to kind of distance herself from Scott. But now she's kind of acting like she's very much back into Scott. And so I can't really tell if she's being sincere or not. She They shared a moment when they escaped. Yeah. But I kind of felt like because Jean reached out to, to Young Beast first. And he didn't go along with her. And then she's like, oh, well... I guess I'll get Scott. <laughs> I know he likes me. I know he's in love with me. He'll do whatever I say. Hmm, and I wonder why yeah. I don't like Jean Grey. Right. 
Anyway, they decide to continue to escape uh, Xavier and is going to use Wolverine's natural tracking ability. But the scent is cold, but his cerebral pill kicks in. He gets a globe-sized headache. <laughs> but he's able to kind of to track him down. So then, of course, keeping in tone with this book, because this book has had action in the first four issues, but it's been a lot more about character development. And so this book, this part of Battle of the Atom is definitely a little bit slower on the plot and a little bit more focused on the relationships. So it kind of keeps in tone with what Brian Wood has been doing in the book anyway. So we get some nice conversation between young Hank and young Bobby, between Rachel and Kitty. He's kind of talking about their different reactions. I think it was interesting that Kitty and Rachel decide that they think the kid should stay. Of course, Kitty does it kind of selfishly. But Rachel makes a point to say that she's been not getting along, that she's been butting heads with Storm, which we've seen, and which I kind of called into question just because I kind of felt like her reasons were a little bit out of Rachel's character. I also kind of feel like Storm being in favor so adamantly of sending them back is kind of out of Storm's character because she's normally like all about freedom and self-expression and people should make their own decisions. And so it seems like she would be the one to be like, no, we can't force them to go back. We can tell them it's the right thing to do, but they have to choose it for themselves. Which is kind of the side that Kitty and Rachel are taking. So I kind of feel like it's a little bit out of Storm's character to be... So bossy. Well, we see uh, Cyclops and Jean, young Scott and Jean on kind of a road trip, and they don't really know what they're going to do, but Jean has to let her uh, guard down for a moment to contact somebody. Uh, Jubilee leaves the baby with the young Iceman, which I thought was funny. They re- and suddenly, uh, young Scott realizes there's no more traffic, and it's because there's a Blackbird with some of the X-Men from the future and the present. And then Storm shows up with the Dove, and they're surrounded. Uh, Deadpool shoots out their tire. Uh, middle Beast catches them before they fall. But young Scott shoots them, knocks them out. And then all the X-Men surround them in a field and say there's no reason to fight. There's no, we just want to talk X-Men to X-Men. But they obviously have them at a very serious disadvantage. For just wanting to talk, they're being very intimidating. So I kind of don't blame Gina Scott at this point for uh, feeling threatened. But then, uh, and well, it looks like a fantastic car, uh, Ice Holton gets knocked over, and it's Rachel and Kitty. And they've come to tell the X-Men, shame on you. <laughs> Basically wag their finger at the other X-Men. But while they're arguing, young Scott and young Gene grab the flying car and fly off. And they go to Utopia. Which, <laughs> I do like the panel Wolverine's like, what, me? Like, when Kitty kind of chastises him. Of course, remember, Utopia is right outside San Francisco. It was the island, kind of the self-governing mutant island that Cyclops set up after Schism. And so they go there to see the uncanny X-Men. And Emma Frost is like, hey, you called us. And that's to be continued. So, um, this one, I thought... The character development was pretty good. Was there anything like weird or funny you wanted to point out? What's up with the baby? That's the only thing I didn't All right, understand. So in this series, Jubilee uh, rescued oh. a baby and she's been keeping it. It was an orphan. 
And is it a mutant? No, nothing we know of. Did she call the authorities? No, she just kept it, you know. Okay, that's a little weird. Yeah, a little bit. So what do you, what do you think of this one? I liked it. Well, it wasn't, um, I still thought it was good, but I didn't think it was as good as the other two. No, I didn't either. That was a nice kind of middle chapter, but definitely kind of, I don't know, I mean, it's hard to say it slowed down because you have the big fight at the end. Yeah, I don't think it but, slowed down. I just don't think it was as intense of finding information. It definitely out. wasn't intent, as intense. But yeah, I thought the, thought the dialogue was pretty good overall. All right, so what are you going to grade this one? This one's going to get two out of three. Okay, I'm also going to give X-Men number five two out of three claws. It's good. I definitely want to keep going with the story, but wasn't quite up to the same standard, I didn't no. think, as, as the other ones. I think but, the art was really good. I just, while the story was still intense with everything that it had, it wasn't as intense and as nail-biting as the first two. Right. See, I like David Lopez's art, but he doesn't blow me away. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't think there was anything earth-shattering. I still thought it was good, though. Yeah, no, it's good. So anyway, we both give a Battle of the Atom Part 3 and X-Men number 5, 2 out of 3 claws. All right, so... I think it's pretty clear that we both really enjoyed this crossover so far. So, Denise. Jason. What side are you on? My side. <laughs> Your side. The left side. The left side of the table, yes. Now, do you think, um, do you think the X-Men, the young X-Men should have to go back to the past? I do. Okay, to preserve. To preserve whatever future. The sanctity of time. Yeah. Preserve whatever future is supposed to be held for them. They're being selfish. Yeah, I kind of think so, too. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because I I like what Bendis is doing, but it's because of kind of the trauma of coming to the present and finding out all these horrible things about your own future. But Gene is very much acting different than the Gene that I loved so much during the 90s and the late 80s. After she was kind of grown up and really mature and a leader of the X-Men. This Jean is not only definitely very much a teenager. She kind of has a little bit of mean girl in her, I think. Yeah. And um, just as far as her using kind of, manip- not manipulating, but. Oh, no, it's manipulation. Yeah, using the fact that she knows most of the young, all the other young X-Men are all attracted to her. Right. You know, this whole thing also has to play havoc on Wolverine. Because remember, like. When or you don't remember, but remember from the podcast and on to X Men number one when the uh, excuse me when the young X Men first come back from Wolverine to see Gene alive again, but so young, like kind of does a number on him because obviously he's excited to see the woman he loves, but obviously he can't like hit on a teenager. Right. So there's that whole like we- not even like hit on her because I don't think he would, but to even see I'm gonna be weird for me now at 35 to meet you as a 16-year-old because I'm super attracted to you now. But to be, like, sexually attracted to somebody that was still you but was inappropriate for me to feel that way, like, that would, it would do a real number on you mentally. Yeah, but I, I think if that were to happen, I think you would know, like, this is inappropriate. Like, yes, and Wolverine's done the right thing and hasn't, hasn't no, made what I any mean kind of move like, at all. Is you, but if you were like, hey, this is the 16-year-old me, you'd be like, well, that's not hot to me anymore because right. you're 16 and I'm 35. Yes. 
but it would still be weird. <laughs> but anyway, but then, like, Justice Wolverine is kind of barely adjusting to that. Then we get another, like, the gene from the future. He's obviously back. more Wolverine's age. Right, right. And so that's got to do a number on him as well. And not to mention, what is current Cyclops going to do when he finds out who's under the Zorn mask? Uh-huh. Right, that's going to mess with him a lot, too. Especially since him and Emma are kind of on the outs now. You know, just seeing his ex-wife alive again. Like, what does that do? Like, I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of potential for a lot of drama. But overall, yeah, I agree. I think as much as I'm loving the story of the uh, young X-Men being in the present, I definitely agree it's very dangerous. <laughs> so it probably is theoretically the right thing to do, if, if not necessarily the best story. Right. <laughs> So anyway, let's wrap this section up. You should definitely, if you're a Wolverine or X-Men fan at all, you should be reading Battle of the Atom. I would tend to agree with that one. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Next up, we're going to have our Infinity update. (laughs) Wolverine is barely in it, and it basically just recaps what happened in the last issue of New Avengers, but he is in it, and I, for the most part, really dug it, so I wanted to talk about it real fast. So we have Infinity, part two of six, The Fall. Actually, just Fall, no definite article. This is written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Jerome Pena and Dustin Weaver, colors by Justin Ponsor, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, and the cover is by Adam Kubert and Laura Martin. And this cover is freaking sweet. It's kind of red-hued. Like an outer space and Captain America running and yelling kind of towards the reader. And the issue is in a space suit. Uh, because I really like the way Kubert draws Captain America, I'm kind of glad we're free of that distraction on the cover. And there's a bunch of spaceships lined up behind him like he's leading a charge. It looks really, really sweet. It's a pretty badass cover. Uh, the colors are great. Of course, I'm a huge Adam Kubert fan, so it was right up my alley. All right, so basically, Infinity Thanos is attacking the Earth as the Avengers have gone out to meet the Builders head-on to, to fight with the other galaxies, the Galactic Council. So, Chapter 1. Of course, we have the white chapter pages. There's been a, a Hickman staple and definitely uh, more used in Infinity in the crossover books. But our first chapter is From Titan, the Horde. And it's the pink... And some of Thanos' armies have killed everybody on board, but then they look outside and Agent Brand and uh, the guy that looks kind of like him, Larflees, but he was before Larflees, Sidron or Sidron. Anyway, they put charges on the outside of the space station and blow up the guys. And they tried to figure out what they were doing, but they weren't really accessing anything but the most basic, like, files. They say low orbit tracking, station alignment, they realized they weren't really trying to do anything except for tell the rest of the fleet where it was. So we pan out and we see the, the peak and floating above the Earth and we see a bajillion spaceships heading right towards it. So ch- the next chapter is a gauntlet. Here this basically summarizes everything that happened in the last issue of New Avengers, including the only part of the book I didn't like where they talk about how easily the Jean Grey School was defeated. And of course, this is our one Wolverine caption, him on the end of the spear of Corvus Glaive, and basically saying the school was subdued. I don't know, I just don't 
I mean, I'm sure the X-Men are going to fight back, but because we see Corvus like leave immediately and show up somewhere else, made it feel like the victory was a little too easy. Didn't really like that because I... We've seen the X-Men take on a ton of shit and kick its ass. So even when they were down at first. So anyway, that won't last, but it still is kind of annoying how they made it sound super easy. As an X-Men fan, I was slightly offended. <laughs> but not too bad. Um, yeah, but then we see like Atlantis and Doctor Strange and how Wakanda was the only nation that turned them back. And that Black Bolt on Atalan or Atalan is waiting for the emissary of Thanos to come. And it's Corvus Glaive again, fresh off of stabbing Wolverine. And he comes to kind of seek Black Bolt's counsel. He talks some trash. Says, There's no, I don't see a king anywhere, blah, blah, blah. And of course, uh, Medusa speaks on Black Bolt's behalf. They they both kind of verbally spar each other, little jaw-jacking. You threatening me? You threatening me? Don't threaten me. Don't. You know, it's kind of back and forth. And Corvus Glaive says, you can't threaten us with what we want. Not show them what we think of death and all the soldiers slice their own throats. And he says that he has come for the tribute. And the tribute is the head of every inhuman between the ages of 16 and 22. And of course, Medusa is super offended and says, uh, not going to happen. But Corvus Glaive says, you have one day to decide. Your people may die a little or die a lot. The choice is yours. And I gotta say, in the close-up of Black Bolt, there's a couple of them here. Because he's sitting in the shadow. Like, he can't... I'm not sure if Corvus Glaive can't see him at all. Or if he knows he's there but isn't worried about it. Because he's pretty content to speak with Medusa at this point. But whenever we get a close-up of Black Bolt in the shadow, is they use, like, the kind of... I don't know what this is really called. Like, where they use the little dots for the colors. It's not like a pot, a potulated painting. But it's kind of like when people now try to make comics look retro. Kind of that, with the big dots. Whenever they show Black Bolt in the shadow, it looks kind of dotty. It looks pretty sweet, though. I like it a lot. All right, so the next chapter, um, and we end with the Black Bolt frowning as Corvus Clay walks off, having stated his demands. The next chapter, A War in the Heavens in Deep Space. Base. And of course, the uh, Galactic um, Coalition, whatever you want to call it, tried to sabotage or ambush the Builder Armada. And they thought they were doing a good job, but most of the Armada was actually cloaked. And so after they kind of went through the fight, then the rest of the Armada revealed themselves. Everybody kind of had to retreat. So we're at a rendezvous point with some of the Avengers and uh, a Gladiator, who is, of course, right now Emperor of the Shi'ar. And we see one of the ships coming back towards the rendezvous point, but it got followed. And Gladiator has to decide whether they're going to keep retreating or stand up and fight. And he decides that he's tired of running, so they're going to fight. And he leads a charge. Uh, there's a cool thing here where a Smasher, uh, who's the Shi'ar of the member of the Avengers, who's also a Shi'ar Imperial Guard, she turns to Hulk and says, you hear that, Hulk? I think he said, get angry. <laughs> so they all run off and they actually win. Um, there's a bunch of really cool panels of fighting. There's a really cool one of Gladiator standing on some space debris holding up the head of an Aleph. And we see one of the Yaks Neos and an Aleph land on the nearby planet. And the art here is really cool. Of course, they don't want to be defeated, or I guess he's, he's shamed by his defeat. And so the Yaks Neo turns, instead of being gold with a black Omega sign, he turns black with a gold Omega sign. And underneath is like this black tornado. Like this big black cloud that 
envelopes the planet and basically kills it. As the cloud spreads over the planet, everything gets sick and dies. The Avengers try to help evacuate the planet the best they can. They say it was worse than death, but it was our first victory. Talking about the kind of plague of shadows spreading over the planet. We see the Avengers lined up solemn over kind of their Pyrrhic victory. So the next chapter is a convenient lie. And we see Black Bolt go in his little secret room, like his little metal spear. And goes into a dimension where all pitches are the same. So he can talk. And he pages the Illuminati with their little easy button. And Black Panther's like, what now? You know, we're all under siege and you call us here. And Doctor Strange is like, it must be important. Be patient. (laughs) <laughs> so basically he explains after the first of all they're shocked he can talk but he explains what the this little room does a pocket reality if you will but basically he says that thanos came to see him and he wants um the tribute and he wants the head of every inhuman between the ages of 16 and 22 he says he holds something up and he says and as i will be delivering my response to his request in person i brought you here to give you this the records the hidden archives of the inhuman kings and queens in there you will find what thanos is really looking for black panther's like but what about the tribute and black Bolt says the tribute is a lie a convenient one. Oh, that's where the the little title came from a convenient lie <laughs> Anyway, a convenient one that Thanos is telling to cover up the truth. He doesn't desire the death of every child a certain age. He wants to assure the death of a very specific person. The one Thanos has come to Earth to kill his son. And that's the cliffhanger that we end on. Of course, if you've been reading uh, Thanos Rising, which, being a big Jason Aaron fan, it wasn't quite as stellar as I wanted it to be, but it was still really good. It was not. It was nice and dark, and it was a compelling story. You see, in that story, Story, Thanos kind of went on a mission to kill all of his ex-lovers and offspring to appease death. That you know, kind of his his worship, his love of death. And so now we find out that uh oh, he has a son either on Earth that the Inhumans are hiding, or actually an Inhuman son or half Inhuman son. So he's kind of pulling. They actually allude to this. Um, one of the uh, I think Maximus talks about the tribute is akin to King Herod in the New Testament, kind of where he didn't know where Jesus was when he was born, so he just had, uh, kill every boy under the age of three. <laughs> that, that should cover it. <laughs> that should make sure we get him. Of course he didn't anyway, but I think Thanos will probably end up having the same uh, rate of success. But anyway, his plan is, well, just, he's got to be somewhere in this range, so just kill them all. And I'll find his head in there when we're done. My suspicion is he will have the same result as Herod and the one he meant to kill will survive. Of course, I think Black Bolt is obviously, he's giving these records over because his answer to Thanos is not going to be any heads at all, except for the heads he rips off with Thanos' soldiers. <laughs> I'm looking, looking forward to that confrontation quite a bit. You know, I've never really been a big Inhuman fan, but I'm definitely uh, intriguing. What? I'm trying to make up words. I'm definitely intrigued to see how this plays out. And I've, I've been liking Black Bolt in this uh, series so far. So anyway, uh, the story was great. The art was good. And honestly, it was kind of hard to tell exactly who was who all the time. They played pretty, pretty similar styles. I know the end of this, this last chapter, I know is Weaver. There's a couple other parts I wasn't sure. There's parts that also that I know is Opania. I mean, I guess overall, I, I'm pretty sure I know who's who, but 
But that I guess the point I was trying to make is is it blends really well and there's no like jarring like whoa art change like it's all really smooth and they both did a really good job. So yeah, anyway, I thought that was a blast and definitely uh, kind of on the edge of my seat for Infinity Number Three. So anyway, I know Wolverine was brilliant in that, so I will shut up. I'm gonna give Infinity Part Two three out of three claws. All right, cool. Okay, so next up is Astonishing X-Men number 67. This is written by Marjorie Liu with art by Amakar Pena. I hope that's right. Uh, Colors by Chris Peter. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And cover by Phil Noto. And the cover is Gambit and Wolverine driving in a sports car with some alien tentacles chasing them. And Wolverine looking out the window and kind of holding his sunglasses down like uh, CSI Miami. And uh, he's got his claws out and his arm hanging out the window. It's a... Decent enough cover, not bad. So remember last time, an alien showed up for no reason, and so now the X-Men are trying to find the alien, and they're tracking it, Specific, specifically Gambit and Wolverine are tracking the alien, and it's been hiding and jumping from car to car, so they're chasing it around the country. And we start off with a student in a small Indiana town. She's a huge fan of the X-Men, and she's writing a story. It felt kind of like, I don't know if it was like truly autobiographical or not, but it kind of felt like it kind of symbolized Marjorie Lee's quest. You know, here's this young girl writing about the X-Men, dreaming about that, you know, instead of applying to college and the other stuff she's supposed to be doing. So, I don't know. Is the writer writing about a writer? That part was actually pretty interesting. And then she's at a restaurant where her sister is a waitress and Gambit and Wolverine come in. And the kid kind of talks to him and she, she follows him outside. And on their car, she sees the alien and then the mothership shows up. And it zaps the three of them into, like, kind of, I guess, beams them up. Scotty. So the three of them are now inside the alien ship. And it's all green on the inside and it smells gross and we get a double snicked and the girl of course remember she's a big wolverine fan she's like the the claws you just popped your claws and they get uh wrapped up by the tentacles and they try to save the girl and then they look and they see and the alien who's holding them he puts his tentacles up to the girl's head and she basically has these comic book fantasies of her with the x-men her with Spider-Man riding on his back as he swings through the air, piggybacking on the Hulk, etc. Just kind of, you know, an aspiring writer's fantasies, you know, comic book stuff. And then the alien lets them all go, and part of the tentacles make like a little tentacle man, and basically says that they came to find their baby, it ran away, it was scared of growing up, because it would, when they grow up, they turn into the ships. And it didn't want to be alone, but then, you know, it realizes everything's okay. It has to grow up, and these people aren't alone either. Tells the girl she's not alone. Uh, this part was kind of dumb. I don't really like the alien stuff in this book. Unless we have this thing where they hiss like Cobra Commander every time they say an S sound. Pretty annoying. So then they kind of get spit back on the ground. The ship leaves. And the girl talks about how she's always felt alone. She's the only, her, her mom, and her sister are the only black people in the entire county. And they felt 
isolated and she wants to run off with the X-Men. But Gambit and Wolverine basically say, no, that's not who you are, but you should be confident in yourself. Belong to yourself and do what you need to do. And then she goes home. And Wolverine had left her a nice note that said, once an X-Man, always an X-Man. You're not alone, kid. Wolverine. And then she starts uh, filling out her college applications. So she's going to go off and make something of herself. The part between the kid and the X-Men felt kind of very like uh, old school Claremont. So that part was kind of cool. Alien part was not cool. The art was decent. This book's definitely kind of winding down and Marjorie Lou is taking advantage of that to tell some kind of personal low-key stories. And that's, that's working out all right. So, um, overall, I'm going to give Astonishing X-Men number 67 kind of a middle-of-the-road two out of three claws. There were interesting parts, but the the alien story just didn't really do it for me. So, it all kind of averages out to just average. So, there you go. All right, well, Astonishing X-Men number 67, two out of three claws. Okay, so last up, we have Where's Logan? And uh, this little part of the month, this first half of September, he is only in, well, I mean, besides all the stuff he's always in, his kind of extra appearance is in Deadpool number 16, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, part two of five. This is written by Brian Prosane and Gary Dugan, art by Declan Shalvey, colors by Jordi Belair, or Belair, probably, uh, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, and the cover is by Shalvey and Belair. It's another pretty cool cover. We have Deadpool kind of standing in front of a barbed wire fence. Looks like kind of a prison camp. And in the back we have what looks like zombie X-Men. And they're all kind of black and gray with bits of red. Mostly in the eyes with Wolverine in the mouth. And then with Banshee, you know, instead of the yellow and green Inside of his cape is red and black. So that actually looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's a pretty nice cover. I like it quite a bit, actually. So kudos to the cover. All right, so remember, Deadpool has found out that someone has been kind of harvesting his organs. And, you know, he just heals and he's kind of gone about his business. But he kind of realized what was going on. So he tracked it back to Butler, who was a guy that worked on him or in charge of his experiments at at, uh, Weapon X or Weapon Plus, I guess, technically. And so he he got with the other Weapon Plus alumni, Wolverine and Captain America, to try to get to help. They kind of blew him off, and then Wolverine came back to help him, but they all got captured by the butler. So Deadpool is going to, he kind of wakes up in uh, what he calls a submerged in a floaty tank. That's pretty cool. Of course, we have a little baby naked Deadpool with Weapon X paraphernalia giving our summary at the front. And again, this book's pretty funny and too funny for me to try to repeat all the jokes. So I won't uh, won't bore you with that. But just realize that if you're a Deadpool fan and you like um, Hossein's humor and I'm assuming Dugan's humor too, then um, you definitely want to be checking this book out. We get a Fozzie reference at the beginning. But basically, you know, he kind of gives just a summary. So he wakes up and we see uh, a Korean leader talking to Butler, basically saying they've been working on Deadpool's tissue samples to make human weapons. Kind of, I guess, North Korea's own Weapon X program or Weapon Plus program. But they've decided that since Deadpool got onto their uh, bagging and tagging him, he realized what they're up to, so they decided to bring him in for a complete harvest. Um, and we find out the lady that 
Butler is trying to heal is not his daughter, as I suspected, but actually his sister. He's trying to heal his sister, and the Korean government wants to make sure that that's just kind of the side thing, that the research is really about the weapons, and Butler assures him that he is, that anything, and he's delivered all his promises to the government, and anything he does for his sister is just bonus. And uh, the guy questions Butler for keeping Deadpool a suspended animation based on what happened with Weapon X. (laughs) Of course, when he woke up, he killed everybody and escaped. But they say that because Deadpool was allowed to go free for so long after he left the facility the first time that I guess it kind of makes it less traumatic, so he's less likely to panic and wake up and escape. But escape he does as he pulls out one of his tombs and his eyes open wide, he jumps out and kills one of the doctors. Actually, the doctor says, oh, he pulled out a tube. And Deadpool grabs him by the throat and rips out part of his throat and says, no, that's how you pull out a tube. And so he starts attacking uh, the guards pretty gruesomely. Uh, sends another tube through one of the guards' eye sockets and rips it out. Kind of gory there. There was a scalpel and another guard. And it turns out, all right, so Tabula Rasa, that's the... A little evolutionary place, right? But anyway, there's a drug with that name. And this one they've been using to um, wipe away memories of the Weapon Plus people. And I guess implant memory or control memories as well. So Deadpool is going to try to be quiet. He sees another guard. <laughs> it turns out, I don't know if this is true or not, but um, at least in, in Marvel Universe it is. You can use a bicep as a silencer. So he shoots the guard through his own bicep. Of course, that kind of weakens him. Um, he's like, I don't feel good. And he finds out he's in North Korea. He comes out of the bunker. And there's a giant statue of, oh, one of the leaders. A very pompous-looking statue. He says he'll call S.H.I.E.L.D. for an airstrike just as soon as this country invents the phone. And then Butler comes out and tries to kind of smooth talk. And says, that, you know, you should cooperate. We'll work everything out. But, of course, Deadpool is pretty pissed. He doesn't really feel like very, uh, being very cooperative. He says, um, The only chance you have to live through this is to answer every one of my questions and do everything I say. And Butler's like, You have a strange idea of cooperation, as the gun is pointed to his head. And Deadpool kind of hits him with the gun, tells him no talking back. But Butler says, uh, we, we don't experiment on you anymore. We just use your stuff. And you now have a family up at the camp. All your answers. And, of course, the short agent inside Deadpool's head is telling him to run. And we see the camp, and we see a bunch of X-Men with all of Deadpool's, like, illusion skin with his crazy kind of healing factor. <laughs> we have a Nightcrawler, a Warpath, a Banshee. Or maybe that's, you know, this is the uh, giant size team, so I guess that's Thunderbird. Cyclops. Sunfire, Colossus, Storm, and Wolverine. And Wolverine with a very, old, like, almost his first appearance type mask with the little whiskers on it. And that was kind of a nice touch. And the Banshee has these giant tumors on his neck. That was kind of cool, too. And Nightcrawler, instead of having a ponytail, his tail is, like, cut off and bandaged. It's stubby. I mean, it's long, but what the point would be. So they look interesting, pretty gross, kind of Walking Dead looking here. Uh, the Walking Dead X-Men, but it looks cool. Butler says uh, that Deadpool was a free-range kind of all these years, and he should be grateful that North Korea is paying for super soldiers, and he's been using Deadpool 
DNA and Huey factor to kind of bond other mutations onto test subjects. So I guess they've been also collecting DNA from the X-Men over time and kind of combining that with Deadpool's DNA and implanting it into other people. And then Butler drops the bomb that Deadpool impregnated someone named Carmelita Camacho. And I'm not reading Deadpool every month. I'm not quite sure who that is. I don't remember. But it surprises Deadpool and Butler pulls a gun and shoots him in the head. So he blacks out. We have a bunch of funny stuff with the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Preston that's inside his head. Has a bunch of dialogue boxes on a double page black spread that she's she goes through all kinds of stages of like being afraid. Then Deadpool kind of wakes up and says, Well, maybe I do have a kid. That this lady had approached him and he blew it off. But the daughter's name is Eleanor. And Preston says, But it could be a fake memory. Like, you know, if it's, you don't know if it's real. But then, uh, Tumor Nightcrawler bamps in and he tries to talk to Wade. And, uh, basically. They kind of explain the whole situation, and Nightcrawler's like, oh, wow, okay, that's weird. I would like to meet the other me someday. And Deadpool says, how did you learn to use your powers? Who trained you? And he's like, trained? We get a flashback, and there's three Nightcrawler-type guys tied to post. They say, number one, fire, wait. And then they shoot him in the back of the head. Number two, they shoot him in the back of the head. And number three, before they shoot him, he teleports away. Like, okay, good, again, so... He wasn't trained. He uh, learned to use his power uh, to survive and not get shot in the back of the head. So they decide they're going to try to spring a trap, but all they all have families that are being kept by the government in a camp, and they want Deadpool to help them rescue their families, and they'll get Deadpool out of there. So he kind of agrees. They sneak out in the rain. There's some pretty cool art here as they run through the camp in a thunderstorm. There's one scene with lightning in the background, and then black silhouettes jumping. They decide they're going to go into the bunker. Deadpool asks the Nightcrawler tumor guy if he's ever teleported a person before. He says yes, but they always die. Sometimes they get impaled or sometimes they just don't show up <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> Deadpool says, ha, I wonder if my healing factor will work inside a wall. I thought that was pretty funny. So Deadpool says, never mind, you teleport, I'll run. We get some other pretty cool art as Deadpool takes out the guards. And they get inside, and they open up a container, and it, the last full-page spread is a Wolverine and Captain America in stasis, in a, is what Deadpool calls a floaty tank. Captain America is just kind of captured, though dumbly, his shield is strapped to his back, so very James Bond supervillain, he'll probably get out with that. Wolverine is, he has his hands tied up with his fist to his neck, so if he pops his claws, it'll go through his throat. And I'm not sure what stage he's wearing gloves instead of bandages. So I'm guessing this is pre-lost healing factor. But um, I'm not sure about that completely. But it's to be continued. And of course, the letters page is also very funny again. Almost to the letter. And uh, of course, Deadpool, quote-unquote, answers the letters himself. That's pretty cool. But yeah, the art really fits this book and this story. So... I like Shalvey's art quite a bit in this. The story is both very funny, very entertaining, and also very intriguing as far as... Yeah, I was really kind of excited about this story, just kind of seeing more... I like the Weapon Plus stuff and kind of how everybody's related, from Captain America to Wolverine 
to Deadpool and of course Phantom X and beyond. I do actually would hope to see if a Phantom X might pop in though with all the stuff going on with him right now. I don't know if, if that'll work pan out or not. But um yeah, very, very good issues. So definitely want to see what happens next and I'm definitely enjoying it. Glad for the excuse to kinda of dive into this Deadpool series. I've kind of been hit and miss on it, but um Actually, haven't read the Marvel Now version at all. I've kind of been intending to, just never got around to it. And the podcast made me, but I'm I'm really glad I am. So um, I'm going to give Deadpool number 16 three out of three claws. All right, well, that's going to do it. Let's wrap up. Okay, so that's going to do it for this episode, our Battle of the Atom kickoff party. And we, of course, also touched on Wolverine Killable. And I gave you an Infinity update and some other stuff. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please fill in to write in what you think about some pretty big storylines going on right now and some of the different books. Between our three kind of big stories right now, especially. So definitely love to hear theories and thoughts and opinions. How can you do that, you ask? Well... You can leave an iTunes review. You can email snickcast at yahoo.com. You can like the Facebook page. Uh, you can search for the podcast that goes snicked on Facebook. Or you can go right to facebook.com slash podcast fan page. You can tweet at snickcast. I think that should about cover it. I think so. Yeah. So also, of course, weigh in on the on the rating system, whether you think it should be three claws as it has been or out of six claws. Or a double snicked. Or a double snicked, yeah, or a snack, or however you want to put it. But yeah, so I guess until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye. Bye.